Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there, everyone. Today we have an award-winning writer and filmmaker, Elizabeth Galen Baker. Ignites your life. She's worked on 11 independent films in Los Angeles before writing and directing her first documentary, When Buffalo Rome, and the film won Best Social Documentary short of... 1999 at the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival. Her life's journey is so outstanding. We can hardly wait to begin with her. She has so much to share. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Paula, her journeys are fascinating. Stepping up to life and into it, that is what Elizabeth Galen Baker does. She allows her soul to lead with a vivacious knowingness as she unfolds story after story and project after project, just like breathing the flow of life within the covers of her new book, Gifts of Gratitude, The Joyful Adventures of Life Well Lived. Last night I peeked into the book on Amazon, and this book is going to be hard to put down, I can tell. For as she ushers you through the book, you simultaneously capture glimpses of your own story within and how you've been graced with life, too. Well, Elizabeth Galen Baker, this book is for everyone who is searching for a true way, their own way, to realize the gifts of a heart open to spirit and renewed by life. And not only are we going to be talking to you today about your new book, but about the new film that you are making um, about global warming. And I guess you had quite a bit of surprises during uh, creating this film and making it. It's an honor to have you here today with us. Welcome. You know, I listened to that uh, interview and I got tears in my eyes. I think, wow, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you oh, well, certainly uh, have stepped. Go ahead. I was going to say she certainly has stepped up to the plate in her in her lifetime. I mean, adventures with so many exciting people at times of change, and uh, you know, from Steve Allen uh, and Buckminster Fuller to the Governor Gary Johnson of New Mexico, Shirley MacLaine, Ali McGraw. <laughs> the list goes on. That was just well, amazing. Yeah. Your well, you know, I really also cute. study with Carlos Castaneda. I always think that um, that's a, a, an incredible blessing that I got to study with he and the three women that work with him. For uh, I was I was hanging around with them for three years, and you know, every single step of my life, I've learned something new that has made the next chapter even uh, more interesting or more exciting. And by the time you have lived as long as I have, then all of a sudden you realize that makes sense. Things fit together and synchronicity occurs. And if you encourage it and listen to those signs, um, you just have a wonderful adventure. And I guess in writing that book, that's what I was encouraging people to do. Well, well, if we take anything away from uh, this interview today, what you just now said, I hope people grab a hold of that because it makes life so much fun and interesting, and 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 you're a proof of that. 
Well, you know, the interesting thing is that people try to plan out their lives, and we're very small little creatures, and we have limited imagination, but life doesn't have limited imagination. Life is willing to take you wherever you're willing to follow, and and I'm always amazed that people want to know what you're going to be doing in five years. I sell in my lifetime I have seldom known what I was going to be doing in the next five minutes or the next five days. And uh and I guess I thought when I sort of uh reminisced about it that everyone would laugh, but instead now suddenly everyone is applauding. I just think we we try to overthink it and we don't give credit where credit is due to just life itself and and the limitless possibilities that exist. Hmm. Were you this awake when you were younger? I mean, the, can you can you look back and remember when you thought, "Oh, this is interesting." You know, the sequence of grace and and was there any it was there any tickle of remembering those moments then and then and then watching them grow? Yes, actually, I can remember thinking that. In fact, I ran around to everyone uh, when I was three and four years old trying to trying to express these ideas. And one of the things that I kept saying was, we don't have to age. We don't have Ooh. to age. And everybody laughed and laughed at me. But when I got on an airplane at what is now uh, a, a good accumulation of years, when I got on an airplane to go up above the Arctic Circle, I thought about that and I laughed. I thought, no one's laughing now because we don't have to age and we can keep growing and we can keep moving and um, we can be extraordinarily happy um, about all of it. We we don't have to worry about wrinkles or, you know, how am I hearing or, or what's happening to me. We can... Tune in instead to the wonderful miracle of life. I mean, it's such a present every single day. I wake up really now every single day with gratitude in my heart. I'm not, I'm not sure that was always true, but it should have been because I've had a very, very lucky life. And I think that the luckiness, the grace of it, comes from the attitude and not the other way around. Ooh, that is good. <laughs> well, this is what, this, I was going to say, is this how it led you into writing the book, Gifts of Gratitude? You know, I had been thinking of that book for a long, long time. I just, I, what surprises me is to find out that I'm a writer. I really did not know I was a writer. I always wanted to be a filmmaker. And when I started making uh, low-budget independent films in Los Angeles, I was very disappointed in the stories. It's all about stories. And the thing that can really change our attitude about life is the depth of story. And we were making ridiculously silly uh, movies, just like they're doing these days, in order to sell and make money and that's when I got fascinated by story itself. And then I had the incident, which is the first chapter of the book, 
the magic ride down the mountainside. And um, on the other side of that, uh, I started thinking about the grace of that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always wanted to tell the story. So when I began to realize that everybody was right, I am a storyteller and I am a writer, and there's a computer that can correct grammar and spelling, um, I decided to um, finally sit down and try to write it. And I sent two chapters to Berman Books, and they said, write the book, we'll take it. I didn't even get a rejection slip, which seems to me a miracle, and I didn't self-publish, which is a bigger miracle. And uh, so that's the story of that book, and I hope to write another one one of these days. So in your in your mind, uh, when you're creating a film, you must be creating a story in your mind. Doing you know, that's exactly that's exactly right. And writing a screenplay is uh, equal an equal task. It, it you know you have a hundred pages and a lot of white space, and in that you have to create a story and and so such a vivid story that people can see it, even though. The words are so limited, and so yes, both you know, writing is writing is a real challenge, and it's one that I'm thrilled to say gives you more pleasure than almost anything I've ever done. Uh, the time do you sit down to write in the morning, and before you know it, it's uh, nighttime. Well, usually when I'm really writing a screenplay, or if I'm writing a book. I wake up and I get coffee and I start writing at 4 o'clock in the morning. And then by about 11 or 12 noon, I'm done for the day. And then I, you know, uh, start doing the things that you normally do on a day. Uh, And uh, that's the way. But Carlos taught me that. Carlos Castaneda said, the best time to write is 4 o'clock in the morning when the world and all of the negativity is asleep. And then you can really, really, your mind is fresh from sleep and you can really transform your dreams into words on the page. And he used to say, look at the horizon. Look at the horizon and, and, and see what the story of today is. And all of that influenced me deeply, you know. I've been been so impressed with other people, like Buckminster Fuller, that I met him and then 16 years later, he actually not only remembered my name, but remembered the conversation that we had had 16 years before. And he was up in his 80s at the time. And, um, you know... I, I just feel so blessed that I've met people like that who've been so inspiring. Well, you're inspiring with your this new book that just came out and your films. What was the first you know, film the, that you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt your thoughts. Uh, I was going to ask you, what was the first film that... Um, you created that really got out there that was really, I know that you had an award with uh, 
when Buffalo Rome, but did you have anything before that that was... No, I had worked on 11 feature films in low-budget feature films in L.A. I had always wanted to make films, and I was terrified the night before I showed up. I was just a production assistant, but I was terrified because I thought, what if I'm on a movie uh, set now and I really don't like it? But no worries, (laughs) because I loved it, and I was just passionate about filmmaking so that I roared through 11 very low-budget, very uh, independent films in L.A. before I realized that I had probably just made the 11 of the worst films ever made. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were just straight to video and whatnot. But, but within two weeks of my first production assistant job, I had become um, assistant to the director. And on the next one, I was uh, unit production manager absolutely unbelievable that I made that kind of progress and I never would have in a studio system. But these were independent films and I was passionate and I was, I determined to be good at what I did. And um, I guess I managed to pull that off because I just kept, I became a script supervisor and I learned I did not get to study film in school and uh, that might have been very helpful, but instead I learned in the trenches the way I seem to have learned everything. And um, and then I made my first independent film, and it was When Buffalo Rome, and it won an award, which is miraculous, so that then I was suddenly an award-winning filmmaker, and I got to make another one, which was also a documentary called when uh, uh, the trail of painted ponies and uh, that one got to go to that one won the New Mexico uh, White Sands Film Festival and got to go all the way to PBS and then I got hired to make this third film which I'm working on now and did you learn something I mean more than creating films but did you learn something on each film about um, our environment and life? You know, I look back on it now, and I'm so amazed because, in a way, they've all been very similar films. Um, When Buffalo Rome, I had never even seen a live buffalo, and the way I got that film is that an Indian elder called me at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, unexpectedly in L.A. and told me that they had determined that I was the filmmaker that was supposed to save the bison at Yellowstone National Park. And I was simply floored because I don't know how he got my number and I had never even seen a live buffalo. But by the time that was over, yes, I had learned an extraordinary lesson that fits right in with what I'm doing now. I had learned that we are very confused. Men, women, human beings are very confused about our relationship 
to the biosphere and the biodiversity, although at the time I made that film, I didn't even know those words, but it's the biodiversity and it's the biosphere of this planet. We think we are in charge. And when Buffalo Rome really showed that side of our nature where we think we are in charge, we can rip buffalo babies away from their mothers, we can prod them with uh, hot sticks to get them to go down a chute. Uh, we are so thoughtless about about our relationship to other species, and I was shocked by it. And that's what was really lasting for me from when Buffalo Rome. It was that we are very confused about our relationship to the other species on this planet. And now here I am making a, uh, what is really, I mean, there isn't a bigger challenge and there certainly isn't a bigger um, um, idea than uh, climate change. But what I've learned making this film is that we're right back to the same confusion. We think we're in charge of the planet, but we're not. And if we don't wake up, I, you know, I'm now saying this is a story of redemption because we've faced this lesson before. There was the golden calf. There's the dust bowl. There's all of these things that we've done chasing wealth. But the real wealth is having clean air. The real wealth is having clear water. And we are very foolishly spoiling these things on our own homeland where we live. And that's why I'm calling the film We Know Not What We Do. Because it's as though, in my mind, if we really understood what we were doing, we would stop and change our behavior. And that's what I'm hoping for in as we go forward now. Because miracles can happen I think, you know, we say, I went up to Kivalina and everybody said, well, you know, it, rising sea may take it away by it, in another 10 years. Well, let me tell you, that's the least of their problems. The permafrost has melted, so they don't have clean water. The caribou has changed their migration system, so we don't have the hunting that we used to have, the ocean. I was there in September, and the ocean is not freezing. And last year, instead of having 12 feet of ice and uh, three months of hunting seals, they last year had only one day of hunting seals because they only had one foot of ice on the ocean. So they're in great trouble up there, and they don't have 10 years of time, and I don't think we do either. They're very cheerful. They're very wonderful. They're very intelligent people who have a deep sense of nature because they, that's the way they have lived for 10 years. And there was a marvelous... Our, our can you tell our listening audience where they're located? Yes, they're in Kivalina, Alaska, and Kivalina 
is the last teeny 1.9 square mile village on the northwestern shore of the Arctic Sea above the Arctic Circle in Alaska. And it took a whole day and four airplanes to get there. And my joke is that the airplanes got smaller and smaller (laughs) and smaller until you go in with about seven people and your baggage on a teeny-weeny little plane and land on what is uh, actually not really even an airport. There's only one, there's no outside service. There is only one way of getting supplies in and out, and that's on airplanes on that teeny little non-runway. And one little store, and the rest of Kivalina is completely natural. Wow. How many people how many people live there? There are three hundred and eighty people who live there and uh about ninety percent of them, at least ninety percent, are Eskimo. And here's what you notice immediately. The children can play outside, they can run and be wild and free and they have no worries about kidnappers or abusive people kidnapping their children. So their children are very, um, they're not very advanced with English. I mean, they they speak very well because they have a wonderful school there, but they don't, you know, it's almost a nonverbal race. Uh, they but they speak English, and the children will run right up to you. They have absolutely no fear. And they kept, I, I was just fascinated because one little boy kept patting his my cheek and saying, wow, you're so old, he said, but you don't have a lot of wrinkles in your face. My, you're so old. Because, of course, the women who lived there who were old had a lot of wrinkles because they've never done anything to uh, prevent it. I'm sure they've never even worn sunscreen. And uh, one of the older women told me that she likes it to be 40 below when she's out, 40 below when she's out uh, cleaning the seals but if it gets to be 60 below, it's a little too cold, and she goes in the house. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we complain when it's 30 degrees here. <laughs> I know. I know. It's really something. And here's another thing. The seals are all sick because the oh. ocean is getting polluted. The seals are sick and have sores on them now, and... Everybody is aware that the polar bear, or most of us are aware that the polar bears are drowning, you know. So they're in big trouble. I don't think they have 10 years. And what what one of the men said to me was, look out, guys, it's coming your way. It's headed your way. And it is. You know, we have we have a terrible problem that people are ignoring on this planet. And I think that they're ignoring it because they don't want to realize that the way that we have been living on the planet 
is completely confused. Well, they're going to be hit by the radiation from Japan within months. They're hurt by the radiation in Japan, and by the way, so is Los Angeles. And also, this entire terrible storm that they had in the Philippines is now releasing some outrageous viral uh, type of uh, bugs or bacterial type of bugs. I'm never quite sure which ones we can treat and which ones we can, you know, but we, we are unleashing some powerful forces. And I lived in Hawaii for eight years, so I know that we think we're very powerful, but when the ocean gets riled up, uh, you realize the power of nature. And look at that storm that hit the Philippines. And the reason the storms are growing like that is because the ocean has warmed and it's creating superstorms. I mean, we just think we just think we're going to keep cruising through doing these things, but we're not because nature is more powerful than we are, and that's just the truth of it. Do you see I, things like your films that, that you've created are? educational and and helping people wake up, but do you think we're waking up in time? I mean, do you see a movement? I do see a movement, and I'm covering that movement in the film. I do see a movement, and I think that people are waking up everywhere, and I think one of the problems is that we don't celebrate waking up as much as we celebrate all the awful things that are happening. So we don't hear a lot about it. And what I'm hoping to do is to connect all of these really intelligent, wonderful, hearted people who are waking up all around the planet. And they're really... um, And I I also believe in miracles. I mean, I've, I've had a few miracles happen in my own life that are real miracles. And if you read the first chapter of the book, you'll know all about one of them, the first one that I really experienced. And um, and so I believe in miracles, and I don't believe that there's a time limit unless we don't wake up. There will be a time limit if we don't wake up and if we don't have millions of people around the planet. But I'm hoping this film will not only connect people and show them how people are waking up everywhere, but I hope also that it will wake up more people so that it will do uh, a double service uh, once it's made. And I'm using a lot of music and art and poetry and... uh, storytelling and even we found a stand-up comic in Britain and he sent us some footage. Uh, We hope to go to Bangladesh in uh, late February and March and what I'm trying to show in foreign places like that is that there is a cheerfulness that we have lost in the United States because we're so busy accumulating material wealth that somehow we've lost the path of the heart 
but we can find it again. And um, and love will pull us through. And I, you know, I thought when I start talking like this to people, they're going to think I sound like Pollyanna and they're going to laugh at me. But what I have discovered is that no one is laughing at these kinds of words now. And in fact, they're taking heart with this kind of talk. And uh, so that's very encouraging to me. Well, a lot of people, I think, have forgotten that this is our, our world, <laughs> our home. And they're, they're born here, but they, but they don't realize the, 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 um, the light step of the foot that's needed on this planet to appreciate every move that they do make and what they do have. And people that don't have water, like you say, clean water and clean air, they are realizing now that that this is important, you know. They're, and you see a lot of people stepping forward on it. This new film that you're developing, it is really... Can you tell us about some of the people... Um, oh, like the storyteller and the songwriter. And Can you tell us about some of the people that are in the film? Well, Jerry Ferris um, lives in Madrid, and he is an extraordinary storyteller and poet and musician. So I started with Jerry. I Suddenly I heard his voice, and I thought, oh, wow, that's a beautiful voice of the film. And then I have a friend named John Bukovich who has been in film in L.A. for years and years. And he has a great voice. So I've asked him to read some of the verses that we are quoting uh, in the film. And then I found a young man that's been working in Washington, D.C. with all the underprivileged city children, inner city children, and he calls himself Hawa and spells it with an H, a capital H at one end, H-A-W-A, capital H, and he writes poetry and uh, wrote a beautiful uh, poem that I'm using. And then Jerry's uh, nephew... I believe it's his nephew who is the concert master of Fort Worth Dallas Orchestra. And he got inspired by what we were doing. And he took his violin into a sound studio and wrote music that just thrills me. And if you go to www.weknownotwhatwedo.net, you can, there's a little place on that website that has a place called the soundtrack and you can just touch that little button and that haunting, gorgeous piece of music will play uh, for you. And so there's, there's so much help coming from so many talented people um, for this film. And my own son, Eric Zirkel, who has designed movie posters for years in Hollywood, um, did the the title, uh, We Know Not What We Do, 
and I think that he just captured it perfectly. Um, all of this is on the website, and um, I think that people can go there and have a wonderful time exploring. And there's uh, uh, also my uh, web, my um, email is there, and anyone that has ideas, I'm you know I'm always thrilled to entertain other ideas. And anyone that has an idea or wants to talk to me about the film is able to reach me in that way. I'm very accessible. And I'm also on um, signing books and a lot. I, I took 110 books to uh, the uh, Albuquerque jail a couple of weeks ago and gave them out for Thanksgiving. And again, I thought prisoners you know, are going to hoot and holler at me and tell me I'm silly. Instead, they stood in long lines to get their book signed, which really was very touching to me. And when I go back, I'm going to take a batch of books into the juvenile. Uh, again, it will be teenagers. They may hoot and holler, or they may stand in line to get their book signed. I have no idea. But... I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a woman with a mission now. So I'm doing a lot of different things, trying to reach people to encourage them to just wake up every day. Think about what you're really grateful for because the one gift of gratitude is really grace. And if you have grace on your side, if the universe, uh, which is alive, is playing with you in that way and sending you messages and sending you thoughts about that are grace or synchronicity that is grace, then you have everything you need for a perfect life. And I'm trying to encourage people to think that. You put a little bit of passion in there (laughs) and then it really, it's like a turbojet jet things start to come your way, it sounds like. I mean, you're a great example, but um, just like what you've been explaining about how the film is coming together, you're walking with grace and you're walking with passion and it just naturally all falls together. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's absolutely right. Well, being that I know that um, a writer with such passion and a filmmaker, there must be another one on the way that is tip the scales in your brain. <laughs> I know. I you know, even myself I'm going, Oh my gosh, what about this? So can you tell I us know. what's next? Can you tell us what it's next, Elizabeth? You know, I wish I knew. I uh as several people have said to me, you're going to be working on this even after you finish the film. You're going to be working on this. Uh, you're so, you know, in love now with um, with mankind changing uh, the idea about, you know, I mean, I was years and years ago when my boys were little, I, I was another mother for peace and... Um, I've just been a pain in the butt to people who have, uh, you know, who just want to be mean to each other and um, 
starve each other out and all of that. I have just always thought, I mean, I went to Obama's first inauguration because I stood up when he got elected and said, Fairy Godmother, don't I get to go? I'm, I, uh, I've done, you know, I started uh, advocating that we listen to one another and stop making judgments about color or nationality um, a long, long, long time ago. And to my amazement, the phone rang and all of a sudden I did get to go to that inauguration and um and i just seem i don't know i i i seem to be swimming backwards up the stream because i'm 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 never quite in step with what is happening but uh, i'm sure that it will be something along this line unless i get you know i also have a script that i'm in love with that's uh kind of a fantasy type of film but without all the violence in it and um, who knows maybe I'll get a chance to do that if we know not what we do um, does well and for me it's never about uh, getting paid it's always about uh, whether or not I'm really contributing to the planet and um, contributing in the way that I think. You know, everybody has their ideas and everybody's entitled to their ideas. And maybe we think that uh, hurting one another is the way to uh, really um, do something wonderful. But what all of the real uh, intellectual scientists and spiritual people, men and women, are saying now is that cooperation, community, these are the ways that we're going to have, these are the the traits we're going to have to develop if we're going to have, uh, if we're going to continue to be on the planet. And I believe that's true. And I have sons, and they have wonderful wives, and I have now grandchildren, young children that are in our family, and I want them to thrive on this planet. And I believe that the way they're going to do that is by learning cooperation, learning to work in community, and um, and and I'm hoping that we are turning our thinking in that direction. So I'm sure that whatever is next, will have something to do with that kind of reality. Well, the people that you have um, working along with you, I'm thinking what, Mitch Hesek or Hescock and um, Catherine Hayhoe. It's pretty interesting, you know. There's just a couple of people that I've that I've chosen at this point, but are they within the film, or are they helping you work on the film, or can you tell us a little bit about them? Yes, this, these are all those wonderful people that you're seeing on the website are all people that I have had the privilege 
of interviewing, and they are in the film. Catherine Hayhoe has her own book that is marvelous. It's called Climate for Change, and she is a, a very noted environmental scientist, and, um, and she teaches at Texas Tech, a university in Texas, and we went down and sat with her and interviewed her. Wonderful uh, woman with a marvelous laugh uh, who uh, was very, very clear in the way that she described all of this. Mitch, believe it or not, Mitch came out of um, the coal industry. His grandfather's and I think his father died of black lung. They were coal miners. And he has completely left the coal industry, and he was a PR person for the coal industry until he began to realize that the pollution that coal makes is killing people, killing children, polluting water. And um, and so he... Uh, he stopped being uh, PR and now is in charge of a huge evangelical environmental group that is doing wonderful things in the world. Richard Seisick has was was one of Time's ten most important people. He's uh, he was again in charge of. Um, being in favor and being one of the climate deniers, and he has come full circle now to being a lobbyist in Washington and being extraordinary in this movement. People really are waking up, and people really are following some marvelous leaders, and Aaron Taylor is my producer for this film, and he has been very successful in lining up wonderful interviews and we have been privileged to go and talk to people who really are making a difference. How how close are you to finishing the film? Well, that's always that's always a good question and one that you can never really answer. You can answer that question if you're making a feature film and you have a certain budget and whatnot. Um, I don't know is the answer. I know that we're not even going to Bangladesh until the end of February, early March. And then uh, there'll be a few more interviews, but mainly here. And then I will be spending full time in editing. Um, You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it makes its premiere at a prestigious film festival because that will really launch it out into the world and um, I I was very very happy when someone that is um, Corky Kessler who is a marvelous film lawyer uh, suggested that maybe we would try to get it into cons uh, for its premiere in 2015 you know that's that's a huge dream that would be wonderful. I'd love to be in Toronto. I'd love to be at Sundance. Um, but it all depends because 
when you're when you're when you're listening to the story instead instead of making the story fit what you want when you're really listening to the story you don't finish the film until the story is finished with you and that's <laughs> the way I work as a documentary filmmaker um so I don't know but there's an urgency in my heart because I feel that I don't have forever to get this film done. Uh, I think we really need a film like this. I'm hoping we do, and that um, you know that I get it done and get it out there so that people can really start thinking about these ideas. Well, you know, you, well, you make it come. I was going to say you make this come to such full fullness to each individual um, because each individual has their story and how it really touched their life. Um, and, and you know what? There's no greater way. At, at this point, everybody, I, Elizabeth, I really think everybody now is beginning to feel what's really happening on the planet. I think they are, thank God for the internet. <laughs> you know, every, everyone. Yeah, I mean, everyone is just um, being touched. They're they are really being able to go within and and realize what is taking place, and it is so exciting to watch. And I, as a filmmaker, you must just jump up and down when you get to see this. It's just brilliant, you know. You know, I'm not a I'm not a Catholic, but I jumped up and down when uh, uh, the Pope recently said inequality of wealth is just not working. We need to we need to rein in our thoughts of ego, of what we really need, and we need to think about what other people need on this planet as well. There was a woman, Colleen Swan, and there's a portion of her interview on um, the inter- my, my site, and when I was talking to Colleen, um, I felt like it was the most profound interview I've ever done in my years of interviewing people, because she suddenly says, you know, when we look at ourselves and the 380 people who live here in Kivalina, when we look at ourselves through your eyes, we look like poor, pathetic people. But when we look through our own eyes, we can see the beauty and the richness of our particular uh, tribe. And at the end of it, she started crying and she said, I never talked to anyone like this because you would only talk to someone like this if you knew they were your friend. Because she didn't want to show weakness and she was beginning to have tears roll down her face. And I started crying as well. And I said, well, you're among friends here, Colleen. And I was so thrilled to get that kind of... uh, response, confession, you know, because we we do. We look down on people who 
bravely go out on 12 feet of ice and get the seals or get the whales. And, and also, this was fascinating to me when I talked to Native Americans. They talked about the buffalo surrendering themselves, the ones that were willing to be caught. And Colleen talked about the whales that were willing to surrender themselves to support the people. And and it was all the same conversation, but different. And I thought, oh my God, what I'm learning here today. I was really, really, really just thrilled to pieces to be there and to have anybody from a, quote, another tribe talk to me like that. I was really thrilled. Wow. You know, as you're talking, to me, if I were if I were in your shoes, it would be hard for me, I guess the story would tell you when it's time to end it, but it would be hard for me to end it because there's so much out there to share. Well, the nice thing about films is that if we end it, we can start another one. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's what I see. I see. <laughs> Exactly. That's what that's what yeah. people are seeing that I'm going to continue telling this story until I stop filmmaking, which will be at the end of my life. Or yeah. stop writing which will be at the end of my life. You know what I mean? That it's probably going to be somewhat the same but different because yes, you're right, it's hard to end it. It's like uh there's just so much, there's so much richness, there's so much beauty, there's so much love, and um, we need to be concentrating on that, in my opinion, rather than uh, the opposite side of it. Well, souls touching souls, that's literally, you know, what we're, what we're finally doing on this planet. I, it's just, ah, you know what, this just is like so elating to be able to feel that people are really coming together and um you certainly have painted this this brilliant film and at this point you know just eloquently i you know it, there's no words to thank thank you elizabeth and and those that are um you know, walking alongside you, helping you to to uh, to show others what kind of planet we can really live in if we work together. You know. Oh, that's so sweet. That's those words are so sweet to me. Thank you so much. And you know, I'm I'm thrilled to be a guest on your show, and uh, I know that. The two of you are doing wonderful, wonderful good things and helping to get the word out for someone like me uh, about the movie, about the book, um, because it's, you know, we're all working together and my hat is off to you as well and I really appreciate the time and the, and the really sweet questions that you have been asking. Well, um, as we're interviewing you today, my mind is going a mile a minute because we've had so many people we've interviewed um, that are 
doing something similar to, to what you're doing. I just want, want to put you guys all together to know each other. <laughs> well, that's a pretty simple thing to do now with the Internet, and I look forward to any ideas or people or suggestions that you would have and promise me that you'll go on the website and listen when the when the man went in to the studio and created this little thing that I'm using as um, as a theme for the film, uh, he just it, you know we called and said, "Oh my God, this is so beautiful!" And he said, "Oh, I don't remember exactly what I did," and I just thought, "Oh God." To have a talent like that where, but I want you to hear, you know, because first of all, he has a violin that he was able to play that has a tone that is just heart-wrenching. And, um, you know, it's just a simple little thing that he played out. Creativity, that's... That's really where we're going. You know, once long, long time ago, 15 years ago, I wrote something that is so true to me these days that the future of the world and indeed the entire existence of the planet depends on the voice of the artist. And I believe that we are all artists. And... um, you know, I I just I I think I I think it's wonderful that we're creating. You know, we're giving birth to really smart children, and we're so uh, concerned about being sure that they can read and write. But let them draw rainbows, <laughs> too, please, <laughs> and pick up violins and play because. Uh, that's the kind of creativity that I believe will save us. Well, before we leave, let's tell everyone your website again so they can, they can uh, pop in and listen and see everything that's on it. It's www.weknownotwhatwedo.net. Absolutely true. And if you want to see some beautiful things about the book, there's also a website called Baker True Stories. That's easy to remember, bakertruestories.com. And uh, that's a website that will share some of the wonderful things of the book. And um, again, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be involved in what I'm doing, and I'm thrilled to be your guest and I think that you've just been wonderful to me. Thank you so much. Well, thank God you bless for your journey. Today. Yes, yeah. thank you for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye, Elizabeth. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.